You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 942 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I'm your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you late into the night on a Tuesday into Wednesday. And today's show will break down what became a very nice win for the Hawks on the road in Miami and obviously begin the Nate McMillan era as the interim head coach. Also marks the return of a key rotation player with Bogdanovich. All kinds of positive stuff here. And by the way, I will have some audio at the very end of this podcast, about a half hour's worth, actually, of Nate McMillan addressing the media before the game on Tuesday afternoon, sort of his intro press conference on some level, as well as some brief discussion about the athletic article about Lloyd Pierce's exit and much more later on. There is one piece of quick news at the top here that I want to get to. The Hawks do not have any representatives in the All-Star contests on Sunday. That was announced on Tuesday. So the final hope for a Hawks rep of any kind would be Trey Young getting in as an injury replacement to the actual game itself on Sunday. The one nod to Atlanta uh, is that Dominique, along with Spud Webb and Josh Smith, are dunk contest judges. But uh, other than that, no Hawks players actively will be participating as of this moment unless Trey gets the injury nod at the very end. So uh, that'll be interesting. And I, I, I will say I will not be covering that a lot on this, on this podcast because there's not a lot of Hawks involvement. So there you go. At any rate, pregame stuff here. Um, obviously, we'll have more later on. But the Hawks finish 4-11 in February. Uh, and then they come out and win their first game in March. Uh, that's obviously a good thing. Uh, there was one pregame injury report that was not about Bogdanovich, who we'll talk about in a second, but, but Tra- Travis Schlenk in an interview on 92 on the game on Tuesday, this is according to Kevin Chouinard of Hawks.com, good friend of the podcast, um, Schlenk said that Hunter is coming along fine, but also has a meeting with doctors on Friday that will decide whether he has to have a second PRP injection, and that's very notable. Um, again, Schlenk was positive by all accounts, but that's going to determine the timeline there, and Schlenk did say that he's been doing, quote, some low-impact movements on the floor, end quote. So that's the latest on Hunter. That's not an official release from the Hawks, but when Travis Schlick says it on the radio, it's relatively official. So there you go on that. Madonovich was upgraded to questionable, as we talked about yesterday on the podcast. And then Schlenk said uh, this morning that he was expected to play, barring a setback. He obviously ended up playing, was limited by match restriction. We don't know what that restriction was, but obviously he wasn't going to play a ton in his first game after missing 25 games in a row. And yes, he missed 25 games, has not played since January 9th. So great to have him back on the court. And the Hawks also benefited in this game from Butler missing the missing the contest from Miami. Obviously, Jimmy didn't play in the previous matchup on Sunday, but the Heat are, I believe, 4-10 and now when Butler does not play this year. They are clearly not the same team without him. And uh, in short, Miami just couldn't score at times in this game. They scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. That was a big uh, swing in this game, obviously. But, uh, you know, credit to the Hawks. I'll say that a number of times on this podcast. Credit to the Hawks defense for playing very, very well. Um, the Hawks were actually underdogs still at tip-off. Only about two points, though. They opened about three and a half or four. And then once Butler was out and Bodonovich was in, it was down to two or so at tip-off, according to our friends at Bonalanda AG. But kind of a coin flip game, and the Hawks get a split there in Miami overall. So as we always do here, we'll dive into the nuts and bolts of things. And at the top, it was Tony Snell's show in the first few minutes. Snell hit a couple threes in the early going to go up by 12-6 to six margin. And then he had another one a few minutes later. So he actually hit three threes in the first six minutes. He was the offensive star of the first portion of this game. And by the way, Tony Snell led the NBA in three-point shooting in February uh, at 62.5%, which is just obviously outrageous. He is very good when he's open, and uh, he doesn't shoot a ton. But when he's open, he's going to make them. And he made three out of the gate in this spot. Um, Turnovers were a problem 
in this game offensively for the Hawks. Uh, they were a problem for a lot of different guys. Uh, Capella had a bunch in the early going. He had five in this game. Young had eight in this game. There were all kinds of turnovers. That was the one uh, sort of, I would say, uh, negative in this game overall was the turnovers. But that was uh, certainly happening in the early going. But Donovich came in along with Gallinari at about the five-minute mark of the first quarter um, for Capella and Herter at that point. And they kind of, um, I believe... I believe in retrospect that Hunter Herder, I should say Herder and Bodanovich did not play at all together. I think those guys were just the two, basically the entire game in a lot of ways. But other than that, uh, yeah, uh, Young took a charge that was a nice play, and I think you know defensive effort throughout this game was pretty darn positive, and I like to see that. Obviously, of course, Hawks fans are intrigued by that, and that is the hope of McMillan, especially, is that he is known for getting effort out of his guys and then generating, especially defensively, um, and it's also kind of played to his. Profile. I'm, I, I won't say that it's always going to be this bad. Well, bad's the wrong word. Uh, this clear. But McMillan is known as sort of a grinding guy in terms of like tempo wise. And this was a very, very, very slow paced uh, grinding game. It worked out well for the Hawks, obviously. But uh, aesthetically, aesthetically, it was not the most beautiful game of basketball that you will ever see. Um, still, they went to a Kongwu late in the quarter with Gallinari sitting both Collins and Capella at the same time. And uh, it was 19 to 15, so no one scored for about two and a half minutes late in the first quarter. And then Kongu had a nice uh, steal and had a layup as well. He had a nice couple stretches in this game. He played very well, I thought. Um, one, of, one of the better games of his career so far in a small sample size. Um, they went to the bench lineup fully a couple times in this game. I don't love that, as I said a lot in the last couple weeks, but it's a little bit easier to go to the full bench with Badanovich is included in that because Badanovich is not really a bench guy. I mean, he is, but... Uh, well, he, at least he has been for this team, but he's obviously like more of a starting player. So if you have Bogdanovich and Gallinari out there, it doesn't feel quite as much like a bench unit. But still, I don't like necessarily love that, but they did it a couple times in this game. worked out fine. Um, they led by six points at the end of the first quarter. They held Miami to 6-21 from the floor and 1-10 of 10 from three in the first. And the Hawks were just kind of average-ish offensively. In fact, the non-Snell guys were 0-6 of 6 from three in the first quarter. But defensively, it was all they needed to do. Uh, they dominated the glass. Trey Young had four assists. He was being doubled throughout this game, at least until the fourth quarter, which we'll come back to later on. But they were definitely... That is the scouting report now, and I think it's the right one, just, just to be objective and fair about this. I think if I was the opposition, I think Hawks fans will probably understand this as well. If you were the opposition, with what you've seen so far this year, wouldn't, wouldn't you trap Trey Young? <laughs> I know I would. Uh, and they did that, and it worked pretty well, at least reasonably well, until the fourth quarter, and they kind of just stopped doing it. So... I guess that was lucky for the Hawks at the end of the game, and Trey made a lot of plays in the fourth quarter. But uh, in the second quarter, uh, they got a lot of defensive stops at the outset. In fact, the Heat scored two points in about seven and a half minutes almost. That's a long time to score two points at the beginning of the second quarter. The Hawks, though, didn't take full advantage. They took some advantage, to be fair. They scored only ten points of their own in that period, and they built the lead up to eight, but it probably could have been a little bit more considering how bad Miami's offense was uh, and how much the Hawks had success defensively. They let Trey sit for about eight minutes. Honestly, in both halves, he sat for a long time. Uh, I, I believe he only sat, I um, mean, I guess he had the one sit where he came back in, but he only played 33 minutes. It is the first, it is the first of a back-to-back. That's worth pointing out. Uh, but two long rests, and I wonder if that's going to be the norm moving forward. We'll obviously learn more in the future about that. But that happened um, on both halves for Trey sitting a long time. Um, a little mini flourish after he came back in with Young hitting a floater for his first bucket of the game, actually. He hadn't, he didn't have a bucket until about three and a half minutes, four minutes or so in the first half. And the Herder had a three, put the Hawks back up by eight. They brought Bogdanovich back in at the end, uh, had a great possession of ball movement and a three, and then uh, he actually missed his first, his first and only shot of the first half. But uh, some nice minutes from him overall, especially in the second half. So the Hawks led by seven 
at halftime. That's obviously a good result. It was 44-37. A couple stats here before we get to a break and finish up the game in a second. Uh, Tim Reynolds of the AP tweeted this out first. The first person I saw say it. This is the fourth fewest combined points in a first half in the NBA this season. So the two, came, the two teams combined to score 81 points in the first half. It was 44-37. Again, fourth fewest of any game this, this year in the NBA. That kind of tells you how slow-paced and how ugly this was at times. Also, the fewest points allowed by the Hawks at any half this year was 37 in that first half against Miami. Again, combination of pace and good defense and bad offense for Miami as well. Um, the Hawks did hold Miami to under 0.9 points per possession. That's very good. Um, and again, pretty much on brand there for Nate McMillan. The Hawks dominated the glass, though, and that was huge to generate enough possessions because the Hawks turned them all over so often. They got some balance out of the offensive glass. Um, turnovers were a problem, as I said before. Collins had 10 points, and the Miami Heat did only... <laughs> They had nobody over six points at the half, which uh, paints quite a picture, I will say. At any rate, uh, we'll get into the second half momentarily and much, much more. But first, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is CBDMD. March is National Sleep Month, and with the official CBD of a good night's sleep, our good friends at CBDMD want to help you celebrate the right way. They have dozens of options to help you relax, recharge, and enhance your nighttime routine. And there's nothing more calming than a nice hot bath. CBD bath salts fuse superior CBD with a mixture of Epsom, Dead Sea, and Himalayan salts to turn any bathtub into a luxury spa experience. Choose from lavender or eucalyptus scents or a soothing nighttime blend with melatonin and calming herbs. CBD bath bombs provide a refreshing, relaxing bath experience by combining 100 milligrams of CBD with essential oils, Epsom salt, and calming natural scents to help you soak away the day. And CBDMD is honestly a favorite of mine because it helps me unwind and relax and try to just kind of escape for a little while. And it's uh, very, very useful to do all of that and much more. And to make it even easier to relax, regroup, and recharge, they're offering all of our listeners 25% off your next order when you use the promo code MBA at checkout. Once again, that is cbdmd.com, promo code NBA, for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD. All right, so the second half, on the whole, was positive for Atlanta. They actually won the second half, despite leading at the half. They didn't need to win the second half, and they did. But the third quarter was not good. So Young hits a three to open up the second half, about a 30-footer, actually, for his first three of the game. That put the Hawks up 47-38. And they're in good shape at that point in time. But then Miami made two runs in the third quarter that were pretty big. First one, first of which was a 12-2 run by Miami to give them their first lead in a long time. That forced a timeout from the Hawks at 50, 50, not 54, 50, sorry, 50 to 49. And, you know, it's one run. It happens. Um, they did actually respond pretty well after that with a nice uh, bucket from Kevin Herter off of an ATO. And then Herter had a three-point play. And uh, then Collins got a match, mismatch against Kendrick Nunn, hit a turnaround jump shot to go up by four. And Miami called timeout. So a nice, a nice little uh, counterpunch there from the Hawks after that big run by Miami. They played the Stars a little bit longer, I thought. Uh, not not that much longer, but a little bit longer in the third quarter to, when they were sort of stabilizing things. But then another run came from uh, from the Heat. It was an 8-0 run this time uh, with from Robinson and here hitting threes and then Adebayo scored. So, again, two runs, 12-2, and then 8-0 in the same quarter is not what you want to see. The Hawks did have a couple, a couple of nice process plays offensively, I thought, in the third. They had one where Gallinari got trapped and found Trey Young open on a catch-and-shoot three, which is not always, uh, you know, the Hawks love that. I mean, I will say Trey's numbers as a catch-and-shoot shooter are awesome. So anytime you can get him an open shot, you want that. He missed that one, but it was a good, it was a good process. And the other one was Gallinari had an open corner three that he missed, but that's one where, like, you love that shot too. The expected value of that shot is really high. So a couple things I want to point out there when the offense was kind of scuffling a little bit. But the Heat got hot. Once in this entire game, it was in the third quarter, they made six threes 
in the third, and that was the difference, uh, really, uh, all things considered. A nice three-point play late from Collins um, when things were kind of wobbling, and also a nice drop-off pass from Bogdanovich to a Kongwu for a dunk that helped to squall the momentum a little bit late. The Hawks did trail by three. They had six, turno- six turnovers, I will say, in the third quarter. Um, and again, the third quarter was a mess. So if that's the way things had gone the rest of the way, it would have been kind of a sour night in a lot of ways, but the Hawks played very well in the fourth. So in the fourth quarter, they stayed with the full bench lineup at the outset. A um, couple of threes from Bogdanovich, which were huge, obviously. Um, nice to have him back as an offensive weapon, and those threes were big to uh, force a timeout from Miami. All things considered, though, you know, it's a tie game with 7.28 to go. They sat Trey for, again, about seven minutes, like, like they did in the first half. He comes back in after that timeout. They get, they get a layup for Capella, and then Trey hits a three to go up 78-73. Then he hits two more threes in a row, so three in a row from Young, and overall it's an 11-1 to run to put the Hawks up by 10 in about two minutes and 10 seconds. So from 728 to 518, Atlanta goes from tied to up 10. That's your ballgame, essentially. Um, you know, not exactly that. There were, there were other moments that mattered in this game, but that was really the big stretch in the fourth quarter, the, the big push that put the Hawks over the top especially when they came out, out of a timeout and Young got four free throws in a row, basically. Um, it was a 15-1 run overall. Young had a great stretch there. There was one there was one hiccup when he actually got called for a, a heat check by uh, Dominic Wilkins on the broadcast that he airballed, actually. But in, 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 this is not a criticism of the Hawks. The Hawks did what they should have done, and Trey was awesome in that little stretch. Miami kind of just inexplicably stopped doubling him. And Trey did what he should have done and attacked it, but I, I couldn't believe they stopped because it was pretty effective. Not that the Hawks were being completely shut down by Miami's defense, but I don't know why they changed it up. And as soon as they did, not as soon, I mean, pretty quickly after they did, Trey attacked and made three threes in a row and got to the line a couple times and a nice run for him. He had 13 points in the fourth quarter, and uh, that was kind of it. So from that point forward, Miami also couldn't score in that period. They had one point in about four minutes, no field goals for about five minutes, and it was a 25-8 to overall run by Atlanta to start the fourth quarter, and that was the end of the game, essentially. Uh, no real push for Miami at any point uh, on the way to the final margin of 94-80. to So the one thing I wanted to note rotation-wise in the fourth quarter was that John Collins did not play at all in the fourth. Now, I think he would have in certain situations. Obviously, the Hawks were up comfortably for a lot of that once he was gonna, He was already sitting, and when they made the run with Gallinari on the court, and then they, uh, as McMillan said later in the game, uh, sorry, after the game, um, that Collins was supportive, by the way, of that move. And also that, I'll, I'll just point out that the Heat were playing very small. And you could say that, that I would have gone back to Collins anyway. And honestly, I would default to go back to Collins, just as a general rule. But um, Miami was playing four guards, basically. Uh, so they went a little bit smaller. If they had gone with Gallo, I would have, I would have not liked that at all. I think it makes more sense because they were kind of going with Snell and Hill for defense, especially when the Hawks are winning by double digits. You know, that's going to be controversial if they do that regularly because it's not always going to work. In this game, it worked, so there you go. Um, but, you know, normally you wouldn't see one of your three best players not playing in the fourth quarter the entire way. They, you know, it wasn't like a close, close game late in this game. But uh, something to circle for later on. And also, Collins sat a little bit more in the fourth quarter with, with McMillan coaching in February. There that stretch uh, where, where Pierce missed, so... That's just something to keep an eye on. I'm not going to say it, it matters a ton yet, and obviously it didn't matter in this game. The Hawks won comfortably, but you know Capella has been awesome defensively, and he needed to be out there. But uh, just something to, to keep an eye on. We'll say. Um, other than that, you know, some takeaways from the game itself. This is the uh, you know it's kind of funny. The Hawks set their uh, season low for points allowed with 80. Some of that was the slow pace. This is a excruciatingly slow pace game uh, by NBA standards. It was one of the slower pace games of the season, if not the slowest that the Hawks were involved in. Um, but other than, I mean, still, defensively, 
the Hawks allowed about 92 points per hundred possessions, which is not, you know, unbelievable. I mean, it is unbelievable, honestly. But, you know, <laughs> I feel like if you see 80 in an NBA game, you're like, wow, what, what in the heck happened? And it was, it was bad for Miami. It was good for Atlanta's defense. The pace contributed to it, but still, 92 points per hundred possessions defensively is elite stuff, and that worked out well. Obviously, Butler is a big loss for Miami, but the Heat didn't really have much going on at all offensively, and that's a credit to Atlanta. They were walling up. Um, they got, and I mean, obviously, you know, Hero and Robinson shot 7-16 from three, but everybody else was under control the entire way, and the Hawks just did a good job defensively, all things considered. And then on the glass, they dominated. As I said a couple times earlier on, the Hawks... Got 11 offensive rebounds, that's a lot, and they only held Miami to five. So they won the glass, extra possessions there, um, they got a couple, you know, block shots were not, like, you know, all over the place here, they only had two and five steals, but they walled up, rebounded the ball well, no second chances, and uh, did their job very well defensively. Um, offensively, for Atlanta, uh, it was not great. It was fine at the end of the day, they scored about 1.08 Points per possession, which is below average. That's below Atlanta's average. It's below the NBA average. But it's not disastrous. It's about an average result, a little bit less. Um, And the biggest thing here was the turnovers. So the Hawks finished this game with 23 turnovers. And my only, my only had nine. So uh, I will just say, uh, if you just tell me nothing else, and this is something I, I say often, this kind of trope often, but it definitely applies sometimes. Uh, if you told me the Hawks were going to have 14 more turnovers than the Heat, I would have said they were going to be in trouble in this game, and they won by 14 points. <laughs> so the Hawks basically dominated every other category in this game other than turnovers. The Hawks shot the ball a lot better than Miami did. They got a lot of, a lot more rebounds. Uh, you know, free throw attempts were, you know, not... They actually went to Miami slightly, but not, not in an embarrassing way. So turnover battle is something to be concerned with. Obviously, you don't want to have 20, 23 turnovers on the road. You're going to lose more often than not. But the Hawks did everything else very, very well. And they shot the ball pretty well here. A 6% true shooting mark for, for a team. That's better than Atlanta's normal average. Not a crazy three-point shooting night, but they made enough shots. 26 assists in a slow-paced game. The Hawks played well. Uh, it wasn't great offensively again, but it was it was fine. It was more than enough, and that did the job. Um, Individual-wise, we'll fly, we'll fly through this here, and then we'll, after a, uh, another break, we'll go back to, we'll go to the news portion of the podcast at the very, very end here. People can log off if they want to. Um, players... It was a 10-man rotation, not a surprise. Uh, the one change rotationally was Bogdanovich obviously coming back, and he played basically the minutes that Skylar Mays has been getting, plus a little bit more. Um, Mays did not play at all in this game, joining Goodwin, Fernando, and Knight on the DNP list of the 14 guys that were uh, active, only 10 played. Um, no surprise there, but Bogdanovich, again, second half, couple of big shots, but I, I was encouraged to see him playing on the ball a little bit more, had four assists. Uh, he was plus nine. He gave him definitely a shot in the arm here. Um, but Imich is obviously a good player. That's not a breaking news story here. We've been saying for a long time on this podcast that he is a big piece of what they need and just kind of being without him and Hunter at the same time has been brutal. Um, we'll see what he looks like tomorrow if he's able to play in the back-to-back or you know after the after the All-Star break and nothing else. But Bogdanovich p- being around is just very, very helpful. He's just better than the alternatives, and uh, he played well despite some rust. Obviously, there was some rust there. In the first half, he wasn't like explosive. He wasn't all that assertive, but a couple nice plays and a fine defensively, and he played well. Rondo had a couple nice moments. I don't think he was great, but it was I think it was much better than he normally has been this year. He had a block shot. He had a steal. He had a three, and I, I commented this um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go over the top here because it's not necessarily a, an effusive praise, but I do think that Rondo, if he's open as a three-point shooter now, I think he is not like great, but he's a perfectly reliable three-point shooter. Um, and I think for the longest time, that was his biggest weakness, and it definitely was. 
so people have kind of ignored that. He's really improved as a shooter. The problem there is not huge volume. He doesn't take a lot of threes. He's got to be open to take them, but he made his one shot in this game than he made. He has to be guarded out there the way that he, didn't, that he didn't used to be. Obviously, he's worse now at a lot of other things that he used to be, but a couple nice uh, passes in this game. I thought he was generally better. Um, so shouts to Rano for some improvements. Solomon Hill had, had the funniest line of the night. He had 22 points. Three turnovers, did not score, and was plus 16. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure he was good, but defensively he definitely was. Um, and uh, a, a revenge game, volume two, for Solomon Hill, the former Miami Heat forward. So uh, obviously some highs and lows there, but defensively he was uh, definitely good. Offensively not so much, but still plus 16. They were able to survive that. Uh, Kongwu was quite good, I think. Six points. Three rebounds, had a steal. He had a great spin move and finish against against Presidio Chua. A couple nice finishes around the rim. Defensively, some good energy, some good positioning. Um, a step forward, to be sure, from the young man in this game. And uh, good to see that from Okongwu. I will say, I heard from a lot of people um, in my Twitter mentions during the game about, you know, now that Pierce is gone, they can play Okongwu. Uh, Okongwu played less in this game than he played in three different games last week. So that doesn't really apply. Obviously, I, I'm pro seeing Okongwu play. Um, and I've been in favor of that the entire way. But he played a normal amount in this game. But he played 10 minutes. He's the backup center at this point in time. We'll see uh, if McMillan goes away from the Gallinari at center lineups. Um, he did. He definitely did a couple times in this game go a little bit smaller. There was a Collins-Gallinari lineup at one point. But I think Okongwu has earned um, more minutes. Not necessarily a ton, because there's there's a cap. Um, when, you, when you have Capella, and he is your full-time center, uh, and you have Collins to play a little bit of center, and Gallinari to play a little bit of center if you want to, Okongwu's not going to play that much this year. We knew that going in. Even if he played well, there was a cap at, on some level. Like, there's not going to be a game that Capella is healthy and without foul trouble in which Okongwu plays like 25 minutes. It's just not going to happen. But 10, 12, 14 minutes, something like that is uh, what you want to see from Okongwu. And he played very, very well in this game. A nice step forward for him. Gallinari was pretty good in this game. Defensively, it's still a little bit shaky, obviously. Um, but, you know, made a couple plays. Uh, had, had a steal, had another deflection that I can think of off the top of my head was plus 20, which is a little bit outlier-ish, but eight points, made two made two threes, got to the line twice. It wasn't like a great game, but I thought uh, defensively he was in better position than he's been in, uh, more of like, you know, on a string stuff, still limited athletically, um, but they were able to sort of survive that in a way they haven't been able to at other times, and part of that was Miami's offense, but I thought Gallinari played reasonably well, despite the two of seven shooting. Uh, to the starters... Uh, Kevin Herter had a nice game. I thought 16 points, five assists for Herter on 13 shots. He wasn't incredibly efficient um, from three-point range. He was only one of five, but five of eight on twos, three of three from the free-throw line, which is obviously a lot more than he usually takes at the line. Um, two rebounds, two turnovers, plus five. I thought he was pretty good overall. Tony Snell made his first three threes and only took two more shots throughout the night, rest of the night. But, you know, good defense, 11 points, did his job. Uh, Clint Capella. I thought played well. Uh, Ten points, seventeen rebounds, had a block. The one, uh, the one sort of um, <laughs> negative there. Five turnovers for Capella, and I, and I think especially in the first half, the Hawks really emphasized him too much offensively in terms of like throwing them, throwing him the ball and get out of the way. Um, you know, Capella is a good rim runner. He's a good cleanup guy, offensive rebound guy. You don't want a lot of post ups for Clint Capella. The numbers there are not good, and they threw him the ball a little bit too often there in the post. Um, if that's a trade off to get him play defense, I guess that's fine. But defensively, it was great. Offensive glass, obviously a huge factor. But the, the passing, you know, I've said it before, I'm sure, on this podcast, but Capella is not a good passer. Uh, and his passing showed up in a negative way in this game. Five turnovers is a lot for a center, especially with a low usage center like Capella is. Um, but uh, there you go. He played well overall. John Collins, uh, 17 points, 7 rebounds. I thought he was good in this game. I wish they honestly would have given him the ball more at times. 
uh, he, you know, he didn't play in the fourth, as I said before, uh, one of five from three, but I think he, uh, you know, he was definitely taking it to Olenek at times. I would like to see him emphasize even more, but I think it was generally a positive despite the fact that he was minus four when he was out there. And then Trey Young, uh, 18 points, 10 assists. The one negative there, also turnovers. He had eight turnovers in this game. That is obviously too many, but he was plus 12. It's not a, not, not a fluke. He's always, uh, not always, but most of the time he's in the positive, and that was the case in this game. And then fourth quarter, he was awesome. He had 13 in the fourth. He was explosive uh, at that point in time, and that was a huge stretch and probably won the Hawks the game as a result of that. So um, at the end of the day, a very, very, very nice win for the Hawks. A nice bounce back. They have one more to go before the All-Star break on Wednesday in Orlando. Uh, interesting challenge there. Not a long trip from Miami to Orlando, but Orlando's not great, but they can certainly beat you uh, in their home building. Um, And so we'll see what happens there to close out the first half, and we'll talk about that on Wednesday evening. Okay, before we get to the rest of the podcast, which is going to be some news, uh, as well as some audio from Nate McMillan, at the end of the show, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Built Bar. I've been telling you for a long time that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and that is still very much the case. But also, the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. The original flavors are fantastic and they continue to be so, but now there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including new selections like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, and, a, and of course, my personal favorite, in cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're all soft and easy to chew, which is also very important to point out. And from there, I should remind you that Built Bar is also fantastic. For those of us trying to be health conscious, you can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious. Bars are low calorie, high protein, low sugar, and high fiber. And Built Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet with all the nutrients you need. And again, a taste that puts other competitors in the space to absolute shame. In order to check it all out, BuiltBar.com is the place to go. Yes, it's BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON when you get there. When you visit BuiltBar.com and use that promo code, you'll get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com and try Built Bar today. Today's show is also sponsored by the good folks at betonline.ag. Football may be over, but the NBA, college basketball, the NHL, and many more sports are in full swing. But there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL, baseball is on the way in the near future and all kinds of additional angles to handicap, including awards, TV shows, and reality TV. In fact, there are dozens of real-time updated props on almost anything you can imagine, and BetOnline has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds, including future bets, if you want to look way ahead. It is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action and visit the website or use a mobile device to sign up today. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for 50% welcome bonus at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, a couple news things before we get to about 30 minutes again, as, as I said at the end of the podcast with Nate Millen with the media. Again, that's unedited, so I'm just going to drop it for you if you want to listen to it all. It's a lot of audio. I understand that, so that's why it's at the very end. You can, you can opt out if you'd like to at that point in time. Uh, there is a little bit of news, though. Tim, Tim Montemps of, the, of ESPN reported uh, earlier today on Tuesday that um, the NBA Board of Governors is expected to approve two changes to the two-way player availability and contracts for next week and obviously pertaining to this season. One of the changes is allowing players to be active for more than 50 games. So right now, two-way guys, uh, for instance, for the Hawks, it's Skylar Mays and Nathan Knight, are only permitted to be active, as in like active on game day, 50 times out of 72. And you've seen this season, especially with Knight, they've made him 
inactive just strategically to make sure that they saved him when they didn't have to. Um, if that goes through, there'll be no more maximum, so it won't necessarily matter all the way across there. Um, and also they would uh, be able to make more money if they go over 50, which is uh, partic- particularly interesting for Mays, who's been in the rotation. Quite obviously, if he keeps playing and uh, even if he's active, he'll make more money at the end of the season. Um, from a Hawks standpoint also, uh, the other one is that they're, they'd be eligible for the playoffs. So obviously the Hawks may not make the playoffs, but I think they obviously have a pretty good chance to make the playoffs, as we discussed yesterday on the podcast. So if they have... You know, I'm not going to tell you that Mays and Knight are going to play in the playoffs if they get there, but they will have options, especially with Mays, if they wanted to use him there, if those things pass. So keep an eye on that. may not have huge ramifications, but it might help the wallets of uh, particularly Mays and Knight. And then uh, you could set, you could see those guys in the playoffs if something were to happen. Because right now, two ways are not eligible for the playoffs. That's kind of the top line thought here. That's the biggest, uh, the biggest one. But the other one is kind of probably more practically important at the moment. And then you had the athletic interview that uh, dropped on Tuesday morning with a co-byline by Chris Kirchner, Sam Amick, David Aldrich, as well as contribution from, from Sham Sharania. So they brought the big guns for that one. Uh, I do some occasional reporting myself. It's not my full-time job, obviously, and it's even harder this year because of the Zoom availabilities and the lack of access. So as I said yesterday on the podcast, I heard plenty of times that Pierce was in some trouble and not likely to stick around this season. I heard lots of stuff and... I'm not going to be irresponsible and just pass everything along that I hear, that's for sure, uh, without reporting it out and uh, confirming it, all that stuff that I'm not necessarily uh, able to do right now. So I was not shocked at all. I don't think anybody was around the league as you read that, read that piece. Part of it was that there was not a lot of shock going on. And in the last you know 24 hours, even more since I recorded the last podcast, I talked to a lot, a lot of people around the league from teams and inside the Hawks and agents and players, not necessarily players, uh, writers, people around the league, we'll say. Broadly speaking, no one was really surprised that Pierce got fired. Uh, it was more of a surprise of potentially about the way it went down and the timing and him coaching practice, all that stuff that I referred to yesterday on the podcast. But broadly speaking, there was not a lot of surprise that he was actually fired other than like the coaches who were like, you know, pretty outraged by it, at least in public. But other than that, th- there was not a huge shock factor there. Um, and again, quite honestly, several, several of the things that were in the piece from The Athletic, I had either heard secondhand or at least wasn't surprised to read. There were some new things, though, for sure, I will say. Obviously, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not heard all this stuff. That would be the first one to say that. And obviously, a lot of reporting power between all the writers involved here. So I'll go through, I'll go through, through some of the highlights here. I'm not going to go through the entire thing. Number one, it's behind the paywall. Um, if you are an athletic subscriber, you can read it for yourself. If you're not, I would definitely encourage you to read the piece. Uh, even if you don't like the piece or if you don't like the uh, the content in it, I think good t- good context is always important here. I'll be the first to say that you shouldn't just read something and take it as gospel. And that, that goes beyond this. Like one of the more interesting, maybe funny things that I have encountered the last day or so is that uh, if you remember back to the Collins young um, <laughs> film session reporting, uh, there were a lot of people that were well, a lot of Hawks fans. I'll say that were mad about that um, being reported. A lot of people mad at Chris Kirchner and I understood that. I mean, I wouldn't have been mad. It's just reporting. That's kind of happens. But um, a lot of that reaction this time, because it was uh, different circumstances, was more like completely believing it, even though it was the same writer in the same outlet. So it's just interesting to see how things are um, consumed in a lot of ways. But you know, I trust the reporting. These are all these are these are good reporters. Um, you know, and I will always say there's there's all kinds of stuff that we don't hear that doesn't get out or that gets out, and there's always uh, more sides to the story, but this is very, very good and interesting reporting that is uh, nuanced. So, 
again, it's behind a paywall. I'm not going to go through the entire thing. I'll, I'll fly through a couple things that I wanted to at least pull out here. But the best thing to do here to get the full context is to read the piece. Again, read the piece if you are able to do so. Um, there was reporting to start out with that Pierce and Trey Young had a private meeting in the fall during a team buying trip to California that effectively patched things up a little bit after what they called a, quote, strained, end quote, relationship the previous year. Again, a poorly kept secret that Pierce and Young were not the closest of uh, confidants, but that obviously started out on a pretty positive note there in that piece. Later on, um, there was reporting in that piece that, quote, old tensions resurfaced, end quote, and there were is issues with other players in the locker room which is not a surprise, but also very noteworthy that it was not, this is not centered on, you know, Trey Young, Lloyd Pierce, and that's kind of it. it. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of players cited, like no direct quotes. Obviously this is all background stuff and sourcing, but um, a lot of different players. It was not just Trey Young. In fact, I'll, I'll read this part of the thing to you directly. Quote, the primary reason for it all sources say is that several players from Young on down were eager to hear a new voice, end quote. And that's something that Travis Schlenk said. I know I played the audio on the podcast uh, on a separate feed yesterday, but Travis Schlenk used the words new voice a lot on that interview. Granted, a lot of what he said was just very sort of cookie cutter stuff, but the uh, the desire for a new voice came up a lot, and that was in the reporting as well. Also, they indicated in the piece of, on The Athletic that, uh, quote, several shared their desire for a change with management recently, end quote. I'm not sure what that looks like, but... The fact that, you know, several indicates more than one at the very least, um, talk to management, whether it be, you know, Schlenk or somebody, somebody around the front office about wanting a change. That's definitely notable. And then there was some info on John Collins not having place run for him. And there's some frustration there. Cam Reddish thinking he was being picked on. Um, also an anecdote from the competition committee meeting in December regarding Young and some foul drawing that was uh, very much not received well by Hawks fans. And I don't necessarily blame you on all that. That was not great. So again, there's more detail there, but I don't want to go through it all because it's again behind the paywall. Um, then the Pierce, the piece went into some injury issues. Of course, I talked about a lot the document, the document injuries the Hawks have been having that definitely contributed to things. But also, it says I'm going to read a couple of things here now uh, verbatim. Quote: Tony Wrestler is known to have made it abundantly clear that he expected meaningful growth from this group, and it appears no amount of unforeseen setbacks was about to change his view on that front. End quote. So that's basically a short, or maybe a longer version of to say. Tony didn't care about the injuries. <laughs> he wanted the results, which I understand. Trust me. I mean, I, I've been the first to say that injuries played a huge part in this. I still firmly believe the way that um, in terms of the Hawks play this year, I think injuries have been the number one factor. Uh, you could argue that, I know a lot of Hawks fans will argue that Pierce has been the number one problem, and you know I'm not going to have the argument again. I think that you can have Pierce in that discussion. I think injuries are the number one issue for the Hawks so far this year. Now, you can talk about fourth quarters and all that stuff as well. In fact, part of the other thing, um, that was reported about Wrestler here. I'm going to read this quote to you as well. Quote, sources say Hawks owner Tony Wrestler grew incensed with the team losing winnable games in the same manner. End quote. Now that has to do with four quarters, obviously. So that's not a surprise either. So you have the combination here of reporting about uh, ugly locker room stuff and a team that is losing fourth quarters. Uh, yes, the injuries are a part of it, but if you have two of those things that are not going well for your head coach, that's going to get you fired. And that's just kind of the way it, that's kind of the way it breaks down. And as I said a, a number of times on this podcast, the head coach is always the first to go anyway. So all those things together goes back to this what I, what I said before. Not a surprise. So in the end, if you lose the locker room, as has been reported here, and again, I've not heard all this stuff. But if you end up losing the lock, if you take this at face value and assume that he really did lose the locker room to this level, the way that it's being reported, 
you have no chance to keep your job. And that, that becomes untenable. And that seems to have happened here. So if that's all true, like people, somebody asked me this, somebody asked me to sit down on Twitter, like knowing that, you know, I've, I've been seen or painted as being super pro Pierce. You know, if, if this stuff is true, if the locker room is as bad as it's painted here, you, you have to move on. I'll be the first to say that. Now you can certainly read between the lines and maybe, maybe it wasn't quite as bad as this. And maybe this is more natural stuff that doesn't always get out. But if it was truly this bad, again, if it was truly this bad, then it's very easy to see why they moved on. Um, at any rate, but even like dating back to the Budenholzer regime, like I, start, I started this podcast when Bud was still coaching and the whole coaching search and all that stuff. I'll be the first to say, and this is something that I think that uh, I need to do better and people in the media even need to do better, is that we can only evaluate what we see publicly. That's something that fans probably need to do better as well. Um, there's all kinds of stuff with coaching that goes on behind the scenes that we just don't know. I'll be the first to admit that. Same thing with coaching searches that the Hawks may be doing one at the end of the season, potentially, is that uh, especially if you've not been a head coach, but even if you have been a head coach, it's really hard to evaluate coaches, uh, especially guys who are assistants and have never been head coaches, like the way that Lloyd Pierce was. So uh, that's tough. But uh, I would not take everything as like complete gospel in one piece of writing that, you know, it's not the full picture necessarily. It could be. It could all, it could all be. It probably is. And it's one of those things. But I would never take just one single thing as, as definitive gospel. At the same time, you know, it's interesting synergy. Uh, and obviously, there's lots of interesting stuff in it. And honestly, here's something I want to point out as well. The fact that there's this much off-the-record stuff in terms of players and or staffers willing to speak with the Athletic probably is not a great sign of the way things were going. The fact that they could get these people, I know it's four reporters, but if they were able to get this much information that quickly is not the greatest sign in the world either. And something I said yesterday about sort of the situation that holds up here is that, you know, again, the firing is not surprising. It's not offensive. You know, you know Lloyd was a lame duck going, coming into the season. So that was mentioned in the piece as well Is like just the reality of the situation is he, he had a team option that was not picked up yet. And that is a jumping red flag. And everybody kind of knew that that was the situation. The Hawks do not uh, release information, but that was reported and documented that that was where it was. So that's, a, that's in itself a red flag that you're in some trouble. So at any rate, I can go on for days about this. Again, I would encourage people to read the piece, um, make your own conclusions, and also just read all the other stuff. Uh, Lloyd did uh, release a statement of sorts on Instagram. That was his first public comments. He's not done an interview that I've seen anyway, uh, any, anywhere else, and uh, we'll see what happens there. But I, I would just say, broadly speaking, we're not going to be talking about Lloyd Pierce uh, much on this podcast from this point forward. Uh, you know, he's not the head coach of the Hawks anymore. You know, this this is a podcast that, as I said yesterday, sort of this is a basketball-driven show. I don't. I don't like to cover the locker room stuff if I don't have to. Uh, you know, I, 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 this is not like sports radio where I'm going to just go on and on and on about this stuff. I like basketball. I like the analysis part. I like to do nuance. I like to talk about rotations and defense and offense and shooting and strategy and all that kind of stuff. That's what we're going to do on the show for the most part. And now that Pierce is not the head coach anymore, this will be the end of that. Like I'm trying to get an, uh, actually have a, a, a podcast plan. Hopefully it's going to happen in the near future with someone who's, who's covered Nate McMillan before in Indiana. I'm trying to have them come on to talk about just kind of his philosophies and what they saw from him in multi-year sample size for some background for me, that kind of stuff. I'm encouraged by that. So, um, you know, the, it's all, it's all jokes and people have been po- poking fun at me and I, I totally get that. Like most of it is light, is lighthearted. Uh, okay. Most of it, not all, but most of it's lighthearted and fun. And I always appreciate disagreements, but people are not going to agree with me all the time. That's part of this. And I totally understand that. I hope it's, I hope it's respectful. It's kind of all I ask is that when people don't agree with me, they could just say that and not have to yell and scream about it, but it's just one of those things. So at the end of the day, um, 
that was obviously a story that came out today. They got a lot of national attention, so we had to talk about it on this podcast. But moving forward, it'll be a lot of basketball talk, and we'll talk about McMillan and what he's been doing, and he's now in charge, and that's the focus from this point forward. In fact, last thing before we get out of here is that the Hawks, again, are in Orlando on Wednesday. We'll have another show after the game. But at the end of the show here, after I stop talking in a second, we're going to have the full Nate Millen press conference before, from before the game on Tuesday. It's pretty long, so not everybody will be interested in it. But a lot of coach speak, some supportive stuff about Pearson there, um, which, he also, which he also said again after the game on Tuesday. That's not part of this. This is just the pregame press conference from this afternoon. But he's uh, been repetitive about the fact that, you know, Pierce kind of took it, took the uh, – took the bullet of sorts for the rest of the team and how there was blame to go around. That's something McMillan has said, something a couple of the players said today after the game. So that's in here as you're about to hear. There's some there's some stuff about the uh, not changing much just yet because obviously they had one day and no practice to get stuff installed for today and tomorrow. So no big changes there, but obviously some time to readjust going into the All-Star break, um, etc. So good stuff to hear from the source. If you're a diehard Hawks fan, you might want to enjoy listening to the entire thing from the media all the way down. So uh, yeah, enjoy that if you'd like to. If not, go ahead and log off now. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We'll be back again after the game on Wednesday in Orlando. And that's the, again, the final game of the first half. We are halfway through almost the NBA season and I'll have much more to come after that, but please subscribe again. Thank you for listening as always. And here is Nate McMillan. We will go ahead and get started with a question from Sarah Spencer. Hey, Nate. Um, how did you learn of Lloyd being let go and just kind of what was your reaction to that whole, situ- whole situation? Uh, surprise. Uh, yesterday uh, after practice, basically, I was uh, taking a nap and, uh, you know, we had just come back from practice and I get a phone call that uh, uh, they had released uh, Coach Pierce and uh, they had interest in me taking over uh, as the head coach. So, uh, you know, um, a bit surprised with with that. What was your thought process on, I mean, obviously you, you ended up accepting, but what was your thought process? And did you talk to Lloyd at all about, um, you know, taking the interim job? Well, the, the thought process was uh, at first to uh, that, that wasn't uh, something that I, uh, really uh, was going to do um, and uh, because it was really a surprise uh, to me and uh, you know when I spoke with uh, Travis about that uh, I told him that uh, um, you know that wasn't uh, what I came here for you know basically uh, coach Pierce and I talked about uh, a lot of things um, uh, before I was hired to uh, come down And, uh, you know, uh, he had his assistants in place uh, in the sense of Melvin and uh, Chris Gent, uh, you know, those guys. So uh, that was something that uh, we really ended the conversation with. I needed to talk about that and uh, think about that. Chris Kirshner. On those same lines, what did you need to hear from Travis in the front office for you to be comfortable in, in taking this interim job? Well, it wasn't uh, so much, uh, you know, just from Travis. It was, I talked with uh, Coach Pierce and we had a conversation about, um, uh, you know, the team and, and, and the move and uh, the replacement. And he just felt that, uh, you know, uh, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't think this would happen, but, uh, he felt that I could step in and uh, do a good job 
with the team. Uh, and he basically, uh, you know, felt that I, I should take this opportunity uh, with leading, leading the team. Can I ask if, if Lloyd had told you, you know, you shouldn't take the job or he wouldn't feel right with you taking the job, would you have not accepted the job? Well, we had a good discussion. Uh, we talked about, uh, you know, the things that uh, he want, he felt uh, that we, we felt we needed to do for the organization. And that wasn't a discussion. It was, uh, he felt I could do a good job. Uh, we had a good uh, group here and uh, we needed to just move forward. Zach Klein. Nate, Travis said yesterday that the team needed a new voice moving forward to get them to that next spot. How is your voice, your approach, your technique different than Lloyd's? Well, uh, you know, for, for me, I just have to be me and, and be myself. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, that's the one thing that I, I told Coach Pierce uh, when, when I came down to work with him. Uh, you know, that was my advice to him. Uh, was to uh, be yourself, uh, teach what you know, and uh, you know I, I think you would be okay. That's what I'm going to do. I, I got to be myself. Uh, I'll teach what I know. There'll be some some slight changes in uh, how we do some things, but uh, I'll I'll be myself, and uh, which is focusing on the details. Uh, you know, making sure that we 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 try to get that energy out there every single night. Uh, you know, that we're playing winning basketball, we're playing the game the right way, uh, we're playing the game together, and we understand uh, what it takes to, um, to win games, you know, so, uh, you know, you know that, that's all I can do. I can, I can only be Nate McMillan. Just a quick follow-up, well, what are some of those slight changes? I don't know right now, you know, because it's been so, I mean, this is, it's been a whirlwind in the last uh, 24 hours. Uh, you know, tonight we're going to be uh, doing a lot of what we've been doing, uh, you know, and, you know, the thing about uh, this year, it's just a real uh, tough year for, for, I think, for all the coaches uh, in the league uh, to uh, make adjustments. You know, you're talking about making adjustments uh, with a, a really a, a brand new team. Uh, you don't have practice time in the middle of the season, uh, you know, and it's just, it's, it's a huge challenge uh, to do so. And, you know, you, you have uh, with us, you have a number of injuries, you know, so th those are all the things that, that Coach Pierce was, was uh, forced to work with the number of injuries that he had, uh, the lack of practice time. Uh, that he had, you know, the different combinations of players uh, being in and out of the lineup. And you have to do that. Uh, basically, you, you are working on that uh, during the game, you know, because you just don't have the practice time to build chemistry or work on execution. Jeff Schultz. Nate, what I realize you've been one scene over, but you've been there up close. What has been your view of player accountability in general on this team? And do you have a general philosophy about how you approach that as a coach? Uh, I think we, uh, coach has definitely held players accountable, uh, you know, for things that he uh, felt they needed to do. Uh, again, we, we are different in, uh, in the sense of how we go about doing some things, but uh, 
I think that he has, uh, or he did uh, hold his players accountable. You know, one of the things I just met with the team and, you know, two of my pet peeves, uh, we haven't had, you know, really issues with this, but being on time is a pet peeve of mine. Uh, being on time and everything that you're supposed to be doing and uh, not, and playing the game the right way. I can't, you know, normally I don't F with the game, but play the game the right way. You know, you, you play the game together. Uh, you play the game hard. You play it for 48 minutes. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, for me, you know, and, and speaking uh, for me, uh, those are two things that I expect our guys uh, to do. Charles Odom. Um, can I ask you to follow up um, and, and just uh, share what you can about uh, about that uh, team meeting and, and how the how the players uh, are reacting to this change? Well, it was a team meeting to discuss uh, uh, what happened yesterday with Coach Pierce um, and then to talk about, uh, you know, the, the, the plan to move forward. Uh, we had to be quick with this because we do have a game tonight and uh, then to focus on uh, Miami, you know, so it was really quick as uh, far as uh, talking about uh, the direction we wanted to go in, uh, talking about Coach Pierce, and then uh, turning our attention to uh, Miami and getting ourselves ready for uh, Miami tonight. Brandon Lee. Coach, I was interested uh, to see your opinions on uh, the benefit of coaching three games this year and winning two of those three games. Well, it's, it's, it, my approach tonight will be the same as uh, those game, those three games, which is, okay, this is the situation I have, uh, you know, trying to uh, adapt and, and make adjustments with the players that we have in uniform uh, tonight and uh, trying to prepare them for uh, Miami uh, tonight. You know, the, you know, I've been in, in that seat before, so uh, it, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, too different uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, you, you're, you're running a different, somewhat of a different system. Um, but uh, it'll be the same tonight. Um, we really, I really won't have an opportunity to make, uh, you know, really uh, major or adjustments uh, until probably after the break uh, when we come back, you know, so we'll be doing uh, you know, the things that uh, we've been conditioning ourselves to do uh, all season long. And, uh, you know, we just got to execute and, uh, you know, play play that way for 48 minutes. And what do you envision? I know there are a lot of things that have just happened uh, recently. So you have to get through tonight and get to the, to the all-star break. But down the road, the other half of the season, you know, how much of the playbook and how much of the philosophy that the guys have already learned remains and how much is it changed being that there are some things that have to be done differently? I can't say uh, how much we will use, how much it will change. Um, you know, you know, of course we will do some things different, um, but, you know, I, I can't say that, you know, right now, uh, because I have to, I really, uh, adapt to my players and, you know, I know people have talked about my style of play or, uh, it's, it's not my style of play. It's the player style of play. And, uh, you know, we will try to, and what I always try to do is put our players in position where they can do well, they can be productive uh, doing the things that they're capable of doing out on the floor. 
So the players will uh, decide and, and create that style of play uh, that is on the floor. And, uh, you know, what I try to do and what I will have the, the staff try to do is, uh, you know, do things to uh, put them in position to do well on the floor. Thank you. Denitra mm -hmm. Batiste. Hey coach, obviously with this move being so sudden, I'm wondering, just kind of going back with your conversation with the players today, did you walk away with them having, or with you feeling like they have a sense of urgency that, hey, this move was made a couple games before the All-Star break and what the sense of urgency is, not just for you, but for them to really make a push to put yourselves in position to get into the postseason? Oh, well, it, it, it's, Absolutely a sense of urgency. And, you know, basically what I told uh, our guys, and I really believe this, uh, if you're looking to point the finger at someone or something, you need to point that finger at yourself. And, uh, you know, and that's all of us, uh, you know, Coach Pierce takes the hit for this, uh, but we all play a part in, um, uh, him not being here today and we got to do better uh we got to do better uh we're capable of doing better uh we have to do better than we've uh, been doing uh and uh, you know so you know if you're looking for someone or something to to point a finger at you know point that finger at yourself all of us and uh because we have to do better uh and win some games uh, and we have that opportunity. Uh, Coach Pierce doesn't get that opportunity. And, you know, he takes the hit for it. But uh, uh, that's on all of us to improve, uh, do things better, uh, win ball games. And just kind of looking forward a little bit to tonight's game, uh, Travis Schlink talked about the fact that you'll get Bogdan Bogdanovich back with minutes restrictions, but what can he maybe mean, especially in those critical moments on defense, just to kind of help you guys get over the hump and get a win tonight? Well, he hasn't played in a couple months now. And, you know, so it, it'll be great to, to get another uh, healthy body uh, back tonight. But he'll be really trying to get a feel for, uh, you know, the game again. Uh, he, because of the lack of practicing uh, that we, uh, we, we've had over the last uh, – a couple of really months, uh, you know, he hasn't really played live, you know, he hasn't played live basketball, you know, he played some four on four uh, the other day and that's not five on five basketball. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a scrimmage, you know, so, uh, you know, again, the, the, how we have to prepare this season because of uh, 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 the rule change and the lack of practicing and the testing and all of that uh, that is involved, uh, we're having to adjust and adapt a little different uh, than we normally are used to. Uh, so what do I expect from, from Bogey tonight to, to, to get out there, get his feet, uh, to, to get wet, get his feet wet. And, um, you know, he'll give us some minutes. We need that extra body, hopefully, uh, he can come out red hot and knock down some shots, uh, but uh, you know, you know, if we get him back, uh, it's going to be limited minutes, and that is also a challenge to put, you know, fit a guy into rotation. Uh, and I'm sure they're going to have a restriction if he's allowed to play. Thanks, Coach.
Emmanuel Glaze. Hey, Coach, tell us in your assessment, how close is the team to making it to that playoff push that you want them to? And they're two games, three games out of fifth and sixth place. What do you feel now as, as moving one seat over, assessing where this team is at, what it would take to get into the playoff run, and, and what you feel like you could have to do with this team to get them there? Well, we got to play winning basketball. We got to, we got to uh, as you mentioned, we're two and a half games out of – but that eighth spot and, you know, those teams that are, I think, between four and uh, eight, uh, they are a game, you know, so there's a lot of teams playing 500 basketball or, uh, you know, slightly better or, you know, slightly less than that. And we're still in the race, you know, and it's a lot of season. We got a second half uh, left here, but we have to do those things uh, to win ball games. Uh, we've been in a lot of ball games here. Uh, where we've lost the game uh, in the fourth quarter or late in the fourth. And we have to do the things to to win those games. You know, those are some of the things we uh, just showed them on tape. You know, you got to get rebounds, uh, you know, especially the last five minutes of the game, uh, which happened in the Miami game. You, you When you get open opportunities, you got to knock those shots down. Uh, you got to turn up your defense, you know. Uh, you got to, you know, uh, one of the things that I uh, try to teach our team is the, the three C's, being calm, being clear, being connected, uh, going down the stretch, especially in the fourth quarter. I thought we uh, lost our poise. Uh, we started to, we took some, uh, we settled for some shots, some deep shots, uh, quick in the shot clock, as opposed to uh, making that team work and, 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 and creating uh, a better shot uh, down the stretch. So we didn't show that calm, that poise uh, going down the stretch. And we didn't show that execution on some of those things where, you know, uh, defensively we had breakdowns, weak side didn't come, come over, rotate, uh, stop the ball, you know, so all of those things you have to do to win games. And those are the things that we will continue to uh, talk about, continue to show them. And hopefully we, uh, we start to do those things and, and start winning games. And real quick follow-up coach, what is the mentality change that you're gonna go through from moving from one seat over, from being the assistant coach to the head coach for the Hawks to help us get through that payroll, that, that playoff run? Well, you know, I have the final decision um, on, on everything. Uh, and, you know, so that's the, the, the thing that uh, uh, will be different, uh, you know, far as how we play. Uh, the things that we do, uh, you know, whereas I was assistant coach um, and, and the other assistants um, with game planning and preparation uh, uh, as an assistant here. Uh, now, you know, that decision uh, will, will come down to me. Thank you, coach. Mm -hmm. Sarah. I know it's not obviously, you know, exactly ideal uh, an ideal situation, but what is it like for you going back to being a, a head coach and being in that driver's seat? I know you've said before you're, you're nervous before every game, so there's not necessarily the biggest difference, um, but, but what is it like for you? Well, the sleepless nights have already started, you know, so didn't get a wink of sleep last night. Uh, you know, preparation is, is definitely different, uh, you know, as the head uh, uh, and, you know, so the, those are the, the, the major difference uh, in preparation, uh, a lot more preparing uh, 
game planning, uh, you know, decisions on how uh, the team is going to play uh, in tonight's game, uh, you know, goes into that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really night and day as far as uh, the preparation, uh, being an assistant uh, to going back to that first seat. Nate, does this team have the talent to to make the postseason? You think, and is it just a matter of playing for forty eight minutes? Well, we I think we are capable of uh, doing some good things here, and uh, we certainly I think we certainly need to get healthy. Uh, but uh, yes, I think they they do. We're young, uh, you know. Far as this roster, uh, we just we got to show show that growth. Uh, show that improvement and, and get it done. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's, what, it's what you're faced with, you know? So uh, yeah, I think we have talent to, uh, to win games here. Thank you. Chris Karshner. Given the circumstances of Lloyd's first two seasons and the injuries this season, do you ultimately feel like he was given a fair shot to show what he can do as a head coach? You know, that's not, you know, my decision um, on that, you know, uh, as coaches, you know, uh, these, these are things we have to deal with. Uh, you know, as I talked to coach last night and we've had conversations uh, over the last few months, sometimes you get, you get caught in a storm as coaches. And, you know, this was, it, it seemed to be like a perfect storm um, in the sense that uh, we're, we're, we're playing a season uh, that's been shortened because of this uh, virus that's out here. Uh, we're playing without fans. Uh, you know, we've had a number of injuries. Uh, DeAndre was playing great basketball for us uh, at the beginning of the season. And, um, you know, he, he goes down with a, with a freak injury. Uh, you know, Bogey has an injury. Uh, you know, Gallo twist his ankle, you know, all of these things you, I mean, you just don't prepare for. Uh, and in the sense that you uh, have all these injuries, uh, you don't have the practice time. Uh, you know, Coach Pierce has just brought a, a, a blessing. Uh, him and his wife has just brought, brought a blessing into this wife, uh, this game. I mean, said this world, and he had to miss a couple games for that. Um, it's, I mean, that's, that's just tough. You know, it, it's, 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 it's a tough time for, for him and, and all of us, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, we, we have to deal with it. You know, it's, it's just situations as coaches. Uh, sometimes you get caught in situations like that and you have to deal with it. I just came out of uh, coaching in the bubble, a real bubble. And, uh, you know, uh, I was let go, you know, so it's, 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 it's part of the business that we sign up uh, to do. Zach Klein. Coach, are you looking at this as the ultimate job interview for this team? And would you eventually like to see the interim tag removed and be the head coach of Atlanta moving forward? Well, Zach, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take this and you guys are going to hear me uh, say this uh, as much as you ask, uh, I'm one game at a time. You know, I'm focused on tonight's game. 
uh, not tomorrow's game. Uh, tonight's game is where my attention is at. And, uh, you know, how do we get tonight's game? And then it, that attention after tonight's game will be turned to uh, tomorrow night's game. Uh, you know, so far as the future and, and, um, and what I'm looking for, I, I really haven't thought about that. There, there was no conversation about that with, uh, with Travis and I. Gary Washburn. Hey, Nate. Um, you were fired during the season in Portland, and then you were let go after the bubble in Indiana. You've had your ups and downs, and people thought you were unjustly removed there. And then you probably were planning to chill for a while until you got talked into coming to the Hawks, and now you're the head coach. Um, how do you deal with these emotions? How do you deal with just the ups and downs? You said it was kind of a business that you're in, but how do you deal with you know, probably thought, thinking you're going to take the year off to now helping out Lloyd to now being the head coach after trying to get over what happened with the Pacers. Yeah, you know, Lloyd and I, uh, you know, Coach Pierce and I talked about that last night. You know, he, he actually apologized for, <laughs> for, for coming up and uh, speaking with me. I, I mean, it's part of the business, you know, um, uh, where you are in a uh, challenging position. Uh, but it's what we sign up for, you know, is uh, to uh, to coach and to challenge ourselves as well as our, our teams to um, uh, play well and win ball games. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, it was a conversation that I wasn't planning on uh, doing anything uh, this season. And I, after speaking with uh, Coach Pierce about coming down and helping him. Uh, I chose to do that. I, I was in his seat, I understood what he was trying to do. He wanted to take that next step uh, as far as uh, improving the team and challenging the team to uh, win ball games down here. And uh, you, you know, he wanted to try to put a staff together as well as put a roster together to give him that opportunity to uh, to uh, do so. I'm, I'm a believer in Coach Pierce. Uh, he, he, he sold me on his plan and, uh, and uh, I wanted to be on board to come down and try to help him uh, make a difference. And, you know, it's one of these situations where we actually talked about this uh, because I told him, I said, you know, if you, you drop three, four games, uh, you know, you guys, are going to start talking and, uh, you know, and it's just part of the business, you know, it's just, it's not something that we hadn't talked about. Uh, and, uh, he said, he, you know, basically I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, he believed in me. Uh, he believed in himself. Uh, he believed in, uh, this organization and this team that we could get it done. Coach, I think we have maybe three more first from Brandon Leak. Coach, you've uh, coached All-Stars and LaMarcus Aldridge and Zach Randolph and Hall of Famers and Ray Allen and, and even Patrick Ewing uh, in Seattle. Uh, how are those conversations different with those caliber of players? And have you had and do you need to have a different conversation with Trey Young? No, um, I think it's, uh, it'll be similar, uh, you know, try, trying to help him 
uh, grow as a player and, uh, you know, talk to him and show him film and, you know, really the same things Coach Pierce was doing with him, uh, how he has to how he has to grow as a player each year uh, because teams are going to be doing things different against him. And, you know, you can't come back the same guy that you were last year or the year before that. Uh, you have to show growth because you're going to see different things. You know, I had it with Victor Oladipo uh, and Sabonis. And, you know, those young guys where all of a sudden you're playing against single coverage, then all of a sudden uh, the next season you're seeing traps and a lot more traps. Uh, with Trey, he's, he's gone from seeing traps to – uh, I think at least two or three of the games uh, this season, he's seen box and one, uh, which a lot of players go through the NBA. They don't see that, you know, so having to uh, learn to adjust and, and figure out how to continue to be productive in those situations are things that, uh, you know, coach Pierce was working on with him. I will work on uh, with him and, you know, the, the, the good players and those all-stars that continue to be all-stars, uh, they, they make those adjustments. They find ways to uh, be better and uh, not allow a team or a particular defensive strategy to take you out of the game. You know, you still got to find a way, you know, Michael Jordan and all Kobe and all those guys, they know they were going to see double teams and triple teams and, and all of that, but they still was able to, they're still able to uh, be productive and their teams win games. Thank you, coach. Yeah. Two more, first from Raphael Haynes. Hey coach, Raphael from a three-point conversion. Coach, you've been in this position before with Seattle, you became the interim coach there. Does that play a part and help you through this tough situation as far as just hey here you go you got to take over the team and also I remember you told John Collins that um after the Boston Celtics game you had a bad game you said hey throw it away let it go with you all being three games out of fourth place what just happened pandemic with coach Pierce do you still have that mentality to say hey let's not focus on what we did back then let's think about what we're going to do now and focus on making the postseason yeah the focus is on um uh, it's, it's, and it's not about postseason. It's about tonight. You know, as, as I just mentioned, it's not. We can't. We can't look that far ahead. Uh, it's about tonight. And you know, far as uh, stepping in, you know, I've never stepped in in the middle of a season like this uh, and and uh, replace a coach. You know, normally you have a training camp or you know you have practice time to. Uh, make some adjustments and, and work on some things or, or, and, and that is important, you know, but in the middle of a season, no, I've never been in, uh, you know, this situation uh, before. And, and I know it's going to be a challenge uh, to do it, but uh, it, it's basically what we got to do. Um, and, uh, you know, so we're not, I'm, we're not, I'm not focusing on May and June. Uh, I'm focusing on tonight. And, uh, you know, we take this one game at a time. Uh, you, we, we, we talked about the, the adjustments that we need to make from our loss, our last loss to Miami uh, and get ourselves ready and better uh, for tonight's game. Uh, and uh, hopefully that gives us a chance to win. Christos. 
Hello, coach. I would like to ask you, how could you describe the atmosphere in the locker room, mentally-wise, today? And what is the biggest improvement that you would like to do as a coach in the team until the end of the season? Okay, I, didn't, I missed the first part. Could you repeat that, please? Yeah. How could you describe the atmosphere in the locker room, mentally-wise, about your players? Um, well, I mean, they... Uh, a lot of these guys had close re relationships with, uh, with coach. And, uh, I know it's tough, you know, it's, it's, uh, I know it's tough on them, uh, because it's tough on me. It's tough on this coaching staff, you know, everybody who has been in this family, uh, you know, for this season. And, you know, some of these guys have been with coach for the last couple of seasons. Uh, that's tough to see, uh, you know, a family member, uh, let go in, in a situation like this is similar to players getting traded. Uh, it's, it's really another man down, uh, but he's gone. And we, we talked about that. The atmosphere, uh, guys were a little quiet. Uh, they were, they were, were quiet, which you expected uh, them to be. Uh, I, I think coach had conversations with uh, most, if not all of them uh, last night. And, um, you know, we, you know, as a staff, uh, we were together last night with Coach Pierce. And, uh, you know, so, you know, tough situation, you know, and uh, we'll see what happens uh, tonight, you know, as far as uh, us coming back and, and playing and playing well enough to, to, to win a game. You know, we uh, went over what we need to do. Um, you know, that's a tough team, a very tough team, uh, uh, you know, a team that was in the finals last year. Uh, they'll be getting, uh, we assume, Butler back tonight. So it's going to be another tough challenge uh, for us. But, Phil, if we do what we are capable of doing, uh, that we will give ourselves a chance to win. Thank you. All right, Coach, I have one more for you. I'm sorry. The last question will go to Simone Sandry. Yes, going forward, would there be a, like reassessment of the hierarchy from lineups to, to maybe rotation? You obviously were in the very peculiar situation in the NBA uh, of having your two highest paid players starting from the bench when healthy, obviously. So would that be like a reassessment of, uh, of those hierarchy? Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, once we get guys back, you know, uh, we're hoping uh, that we get Bogey back uh, tonight. Uh, I'm sure he's going to if, if, he, if he does uh, uh, come back to the lineup tonight, uh, he's going to be limited as far as the minutes. You know, when we get all of our guys back, yes, we will be adjusting uh, our lineup uh, again to, uh, we, to what we feel is the be best lineup, that first and second unit uh, that will give us a, uh, the best chance uh, to win ball games. So uh, we'll see you know, once we get everybody healthy, but uh, far as tonight's game, uh, we're pretty much going to start the same unit that uh, we started uh, in our last game. Coach McMillan, that was our final question for you. So thank you for your time. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody.